0: Welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We help people grow by connecting truth to life.
1: Here's your host, Daryl Dash. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And today we want to talk about social media. Social media can be amazing. It helps us connect with friends and family, and it can provide inspiration, encouragement, and enjoyment. But we're well aware that it also has a dark side. And we've seen some of the costs of social media in society, and if we're honest, in our own lives as well. The question is, how can we as Christians live well in a social media world? And today I'm excited to welcome Chris Martin. He's going to help us figure that out. He's written a new book called Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. Chris Martin is somebody I've followed for a number of years, and he is content marketing editor at Moody Publishers and also does some social media marketing and communications consulting. Chris lives outside Nashville with his wife, Susie, their daughter, Magnolia, and their dog. Chris, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast.
0: Thanks, Daryl. It's really good to be on. And I've, uh, I've kept track of your work for a while, too. And I'm grateful for um, the ways that you curate content and just help people better keep track of, of what people are writing and doing. And so I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to get to join you for the
1: first time. So I'm,
0: I'm glad to be here.
1: I'm really curious why so many amazing people live around Nashville. So <laughs> I wasn't planning on asking you that. Is it is that yeah. just a lifeway effect, or what is that? That's a really good question because you're right. Yeah, I think I think
0: in terms of like the the Christian space, the evangelical space. Yeah, you've got like Southern Baptist Convention headquarters is here. So like you know anybody who is affiliated with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, like Dr. Russell Moore or like Dan Darling and Jason Thacker, so many of those. Folks, before many of them either left that organization or maybe went remote before they even left, you know they were working at the SBC headquarter building, uh, which was right across the street from Lifeway. So there, you have, you know, two buildings that were literally across the street from one another. In fact, we could look in one another's offices uh, and and you know make faces at each other. And uh, you had, you know you had all of us there. Now, obviously, it's very different with remote work and, and things like that. So yeah, I think you've got that. You've got a number of maybe large churches here that have had influence beyond the bounds of of Nashville, Brentwood Baptist Church, or Grace. And so yeah, man, I mean, it's really interesting. I, I did come to Nashville originally back in 2013 to work at Lifeway. In fact, I, my first job out of college was managing the blog and social media of Ed Stetzer, who some of your listeners may know. And so that's what that's what drew me here. And, and then I'm grateful that I get to work for a great organization like Moody, publishers now and i get to do it staying here in uh in the nashville area though i love chicagoland and uh you won't hear me complain if they ever uh if they ever call me up there but i uh i do love the people here in our church community and and it's really great to kind of have a a leg in nat in nashville which has become home and uh and a leg in chicagoland which is one of my favorite places anywhere
1: well, the weather might be a little bit better in Nashville and the barbecue as well, which is two it's things funny. So it's for. funny you
0: say that. It, it's really funny you say that because
1: as you as you say
0: that I'm looking outside at our second five inch snowfall in four days, <laughs> uh, which is seriously unprecedented for this area. But I am a northerner. Originally, I'm from I'm from northern Indiana. So I, I actually like winter. I like snow. My wife is grateful for the fact that it is Usually, much more warm here than it is uh, than where we're from back in Indiana. But I, uh, I do love the the giant white flakes falling from time to time, and and though we get them very rarely, it's been a beautiful sight
1: today, that's for sure. Nashville probably shuts down with a little bit of snow, unlike Chicago. But uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah,
0: you know, not not all not all four sh- not all four snowplows can be at this in <laughs> uh, across the city at the same time. So,
1: <laughs> so Chris, what made you write this book?
0: It's a great question. Common one, I think you know. I have been really impacted by the work of Neil Postman, who's a 20th century American commentator on media ecology and and really technology, the relationship of technology and media and sociology. Um, his book "Amusing Ourselves to Death," which was published in 1985, for anybody who's interested in social media or just like media in general, uh, that book you should pick it up and read it if you haven't. But if you, chances are, if you're interested in These topics, you already have read it. And it's just a really, really great work. I read it for the first time, I want to say back in 2015, 2016. And it really shaped, it was one of the most paradigm shifting books for me that I've ever read. Uh, Honestly, it is the most impactful book for me I've ever read outside of scripture. It really changed the way I view the world. I, you know, I grew up, a little bit of personal note about me, um, because it's relevant to this discussion. I grew up in Northeast Indiana. My dad worked for IBM he worked for IBM for 27 years I mean like he got a computer science degree from Purdue University back when computers took up entire rooms <laughs> um, and and uh, he was working for IBM, one of the biggest computer companies in the world and he was working from our home He was he was a remote worker before it was cool back in the early 90s and so I grew up with computers and the internet in my house uh, from the earliest age um, I remember playing Sesame Street, video games on floppy disks when I was barely in kindergarten. And so I just remember engaging with technology and the internet and and really being on the on the bleeding edge of so many of these technological innovations from a very young age. For a long time, I wanted to go into the industry. I wanted to go out and work for some of the companies we may talk about today. Then I realized you usually have to be pretty good at math. And I'm more of a words guy than a math guy. So I was like, yeah, I don't really think that's for me. But I wrote the book because I was so impacted by Neil Postman, and so I've always been so interested in the social internet and and social media and its impact on our relationship with each other that I I was like, you know, I really think that it would be helpful if somebody tried to take the sort of ethos of Neil Postman, the sort of ethic, the ideas that he proposes in amusing ourselves to death about how we are, quite frankly, amusing ourselves to death. The, the title's a very good one on that book. Um, and took kind of fast forwarded and said if you know, I asked myself the question I said if Neil Postman were around today and he were a believer he were a Christian he was very he was very kind to the Christian faith but was not himself a believer as far as we know what if he were around today in our social media landscape and he were a believer what would he have to say to us either you know globally to to everyone or to Christians specifically and so I said I would I would totally love to read, a book like that, or regular writing like that, and I was having trouble finding it, frankly. And so I said, "Well, I'm really interested in social media, and I have a theological, I have theological education, undergrad degree, and a and a seminary, an MDiv." I was like, "What if I tried to kind of be that?" Not not saying I can be Neil Postman; not, I do not claim that level of intellect. But I was like, "I really think there is a need for that kind of perspective in our space." And so, rather than long for it, I just decided, "I'll try to, I'll try to be that." And so that was. That really, I started my terms of service newsletter, which is a twice-weekly newsletter that I write, and I I proposed the book around the same time at the beginning of 2020, right around when, when the pandemic was all kind of getting going. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what was motivating for, for me to begin with. But.
1: And it seems like we really don't know what to do with um, the whole social media thing. As much as we kind of know the concepts that Neil Postman talked about, it seems like we've just embraced uh, either embraced the internet and social media or completely written it off and avoided it. So how is your book trying to help us to, to figure out how to do it uh, and not just gravitate towards uncritical embrace or complete avoidance of it? I'm so glad you're asking this question because one of the most common
0: assumptions people make when they see that I wrote a book about social media that has a big frowny face on the cover Made up of a bunch of smiley face emojis. When people, you know, they assume it's like, oh, social media is bad. Like, this is a Christian book about how social media is evil. And I will be the first to say that it is a more negative book than a positive one, but I don't think it's unduly negative. I think, I think it's it, to write a positive book about social media today, I think would be a little bit disingenuous. But I think it's important to me that my primary charge. Not only in the book, but in all of my writing or speaking that I do on this topic, my primary charge is never delete your accounts. Social media is evil. Facebook's out to take over the world. And, you know, it's never that. Not only because it's not true, but because I don't think deleting social media accounts fixes anything. Now, if you're like addicted to social media and it's overtaking your life and it's hindering your relationships with other people, with the Lord, and you're, you know, you're, you're addicted in such a way that it's really, hindering your ability to live as a Christ follower and, and productive husband, wife, worker, whatever, church member, I do think that, you know, like locking yourself out of your accounts and giving somebody else the keys is probably a, a wise step to take. However, I don't believe that if, you know, we all just hashtag quit Facebook or, or whatever, delete Facebook, I don't think that would fix the problem um, because I, I think the problems that have been unearthed by our relationship with social media Don't go away if we just delete our own accounts. You know, if you if you or I deleted our social media accounts today, we show up on to church on Sunday or to small group on Tuesday night, and somebody would say, "Hey, did you see what so and so posted on Facebook? Or did you see that latest TikTok trend? Or did you see X, Y, or Z?" There would be really no way to escape it. I, I use an analogy in the book of we're like fish in water. It's really it's pulled from David Foster Wallace's. Uh, this is water speech at Kenyon College back in 2003. But I really think we are like fish swimming in water, living in water. There's no way for us to live outside of social media at this point. It's really, really difficult, if not impossible, to live outside of the influence of social media. And it's increasingly that way. So I think our best course of action Is yes, neither to uncritically embrace, because unfortunately, I think that's where a lot of us have found ourselves just uncritically embracing these platforms. I don't think it's right either to just wholly dismiss them, A, because I think they're helpful in some regard in the same ways that maybe you do, and B, because I just think it's quite impossible. Um, And so I think our best course of action is to realize that the water in which we swim is toxic and to put our gas masks on, if you will, and Learn how to live in this toxic water, and perhaps do what we can to make it a little bit
1: less so. In the book, you use the term not social media as much as social internet. I um, wonder what you meant by using that term, because uh, social media is probably more in the common language or vernacular. What did you mean by social internet?
0: Yeah, this is a hard thing for me to talk about. I, it was a hard decision for me to make um, because I believe strongly in the term, the social internet. However, I knew I was going to have to do a little bit of education of readers in this regard, because social media is one of the most common words, phrases, terminologies I hear on a daily basis, just in conversation with friends. And social internet is harder to say. It's not as commonly used. And I knew that I'd be digging myself a little bit of a hole. However, the whole point of this book is to help us have a more robust mature relationship with these tools. And so I thought a little bit of terminology terminology education would accomplish the goal of the book, even if it were a little bit tongue tie and a little bit more difficult. So social, the social internet, the whole point of using the term the social internet rather than social media is when we use the term social media, when I use that term or any of us, we likely, you know, there are probably a few logos that pop into our head, a few, a few apps On our phones that pop into our head. We think of Facebook and Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, perhaps. A lot of us don't even think of YouTube as social media. Um, So we think of these apps. However, a lot of the principle of the book, uh, a lot of what I talk about in the book, and a lot of how I think we're being shaped by these platforms goes far beyond those four or five or six apps and logos that we think of. A lot of people don't realize that Amazon book reviews are social media, that Google results when you when you Google you know, what's what's the internal temperature to which I cook chicken you know when you can't remember what, what is this supposed to be you know when you're grilling or when you're cooking it in the oven how hot is this supposed to be the the result that comes up in Google is created by a real person as of right now anyway the Yelp reviews when you're looking up I want to take my spouse on a date to a restaurant for their birthday and you're looking up Yelp reviews for restaurants on which Thai place you should visit. Those are created by people. That is that is social media. And really, this whole stage of like Web 2.0, which is the current stage of the internet in which we live. Web 3.0 is knocking on the door. Web 1.0 is far behind us. This Web 2.0, where we're consuming content, but also creating content, is really all social, beyond even the social media platforms that come to mind when we use that term, social media. So really, the the whole reasoning of using the term social internet is my effort to get us thinking about our relationship with the social internet as wholly social, not just, oh, I posted on my friend's Facebook wall, or I DM'd my buddy from school. That is social media, but so are a lot of other interactions we have, and, and really my hope is to broaden our scope of what that is.
1: That's really helpful because I think a lot of us think maybe we're avoiding social media when we're still engaging with the social internet without even really that's right. realizing the way that we're being shaped by that. So yeah, that's really helpful. Well, Chris, talk to us about some of the ways that you see the social internet changing us. Man, I could list so many.
0: I think when, when the social internet and, and social media specifically first started coming onto the scene, let me also address one other reason I like social internet and social media. I almost think of social internet as like the utensils. If you're sitting at a dinner table, the social internet is the table and the knife and the plate and the fork. It's all of the tools you need to consume content. And social media is is the food on the plate. And so when it comes to thinking about social internet and social media, we need to understand that we're influenced and we're changed, we're discipled, frankly, not only by the food on the plate, the content we consume, but we're influenced and we're discipled and we're shaped by the utensils, the tools, the literal technologies, the ones and zeros of algorithms that undergird that content that we consume. So anyway, that was another, another random note that I forgot to include in that discussion. But in a similar part of that conversation, uh, some of the ways that we should be thinking, I think, about how social media is changing us is... You know, when social media came around, the whole pitch was that social media is a tool to make our lives better in one way or the other. Like, it'll let you connect with high school friends, or you can raise money to pay for you know medical procedure through GoFundMe or or whatever. The idea is that social media is a tool to serve us, but in reality, I think we've come to serve social media more than it serves us. So I think that happens because we're hopelessly addicted to social media platforms and and aspects of the entire social internet. I, I've been in countless conversations over the years with people who feel like they couldn't quit social media even if they tried. And they just honestly feel enslaved. They, they really feel like... And those, those are the kinds of people that I, I think may benefit from deleting their accounts or at least locking the door and giving somebody else the key. Another way that we're being shaped by these platforms is we provide so many of these platforms with countless gigabytes of our data. And our data is what makes them billions of dollars. And I I think a lot of us don't understand the gravity of the trade that we have made of our personal information for the ability to express ourselves. Like I am regularly shocked that one of the most shocking, genuinely jaw-dropping experiences I have on an almost weekly basis is seeing friends of mine or or acquaintances of mine that I'm connected with on social media, seeing the extent to which they're willing to give up personal details about themselves in exchange for expressing themselves. I had somebody, a friend the other day, who tested positive for COVID. And this friend posted on Facebook a picture of their positive COVID test result, including their doctor's name, their doctor's address, their personal address, their phone number, the doctor's phone number, their patient ID number, and their account number at the doctor's office. I wow. could have gone in and paid these persons bills, charged bills to them, made a- made appointments for them. And, and I think, and that's not an outlier. I mean, it, we hear that and it's like, oh my gosh, I'd never do that. Probably. But it is amazing to me the degree to which we have become comfortable with these platforms and the amount of information that we're willing to put into them in exchange for really nothing other than expressing ourselves. My wife and I, when our daughter was born a couple of years ago, made the conscious decision at my leading, though my wife did come around on it, of not posting pictures of our daughter on the internet. I've heard too many stories of friends who have had pictures of their kids taken and, and used in ways they didn't want. I have, as you can imagine, a pretty staunch stance on data privacy and protecting Especially images of, of minors on, on the internet. And so I, we, we made that conscious decision because I, and some family members and friends are like, how could you do that? Like, aren't people mad at you? Like, you know, and we have ways of sharing pictures with friends and family who want to see our daughter that, that aren't on social media. But I said, think about if you went back to like the year 2002, 2003, and you were to tell parents back then, hey, in 10 years, it's going to be normal for you to post kids post pictures of your kids when they're in the bathtub or when they're in the backyard playing with your dog all the time. They'd be like, that's crazy. You're that's That'd be so weird. Who would do that? And now today, if you don't do that, you're the weird one. Like people kind of look at us like, you weirdos, how are you not posting pictures of your kid on social media? I'm like, man, if you go back a decade, not even a decade, and said to people that this is going to be normal, they'd look at you like you're crazy. The third and final way that I think the social internet's really kind of changing us and forming us is we really, we try to earn others' attention at all costs. Attention is the currency of the social internet. It's how we feel good. It's how we kind of get rich. When people pay us attention online, we really feel most alive. I think one of the reasons we keep coming back to social media, even though we see plenty of data that say it's not good for mental health and perhaps we have personal experiences of how it's not good for mental health, I think part of the reason we come back is Social media offers us the incredibly alluring ability to feel other people's love and to feel other people's affirmation and to be paid attention and to get this general vibe, this feeling that we matter and that that we're valuable. We get that feeling and we do not have to be vulnerable. We do not have to let people know who we truly are. I, I think a lot of us are just really afraid of being truly known. We're really afraid of in like true intimacy, but we want the payoff of intimacy. We want that feeling of being loved and affirmed and cared for. And I think the social internet, for so many of us, and myself included, at various stages in my life, I'm no paragon of virtue here. Um, so many of us want the encouragement and the affirmation and the feelings of love that we get from engaging with people online the likes and the retweets and the other pats on the back that we feel without the cost of vulnerability and intimacy because the the vulnerability and intimacy of of true embodied loving relationships can just be too burden too great a burden to bear and frankly too scary i think for a lot
1: of us that's really helpful Help us ex- understand maybe how Web 3.0 or the Metaverse, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, is going to drive some of these trends even more. Uh, I I know a lot of people who are even trying to understand what it's going to look like, and uh, other people who are trying to say don't panic. You know, there's good things about it. How do you see these trends accelerating with Web 3.0? I'm
0: starting to pay a lot more attention to Web 3.0. I'm in a I'm in a group text message with a handful of Christians who are thinking about this topic and one of the guys named the group the non-fungible tokens which i think is just hilarious if you know like what nfts are are non-fungible <laughs> tokens uh, and he called this group the non-fungible tokens and so it's a text message group where we share articles that we're reading or thoughts that we have about these various developments i i am i'm uh, simultaneously encouraged and discouraged by what i'm seeing in development of web3 if if you're not if you're listening and you're not familiar with web3 um i could I'll, I'll give some tertiary like some surface level explanation of it but there are a number of great podcasts and things that you can read listen to and read about this this evolution of the internet but really if you're listening and you're like what's web 3 um, it's like the decentralization of the internet ideally so it's like where web 1.0 is here's what the internet was like you know in the 80s 90s where most of us were just consuming content most of us were not creating content for the internet we were just going on to read or sometimes eventually watch content. Web 2.0 is the internet stage kind of that we're in now where you're both reading content on the internet and writing content on the internet. So it goes from read to read-write. That's Web 2.0 and that's the social internet, right? That's where we're at. That's where we've been since the late 90s, early 2000s with the earliest iterations of social media and to where we are today. And that's obviously where a lot of my focus is, is Web 2.0. Web 3.0 is is similar to Web 2.0 in that there's plenty of consuming content and creating content. But instead of, and this is the ideal, I, I remain skeptical as to if it will actually happen this way. But the ideal is that instead of a few major companies controlling the internet in the future, like Google and Facebook do today, everybody will share in the ownership of the future of the internet. So where today on Facebook, if you went on and posted, hey, here's what I'm having for dinner tonight, or here's a really interesting article that I read. And if you got a bunch of likes and shares and comments on that piece of content that you posted, you don't benefit at all monetarily from that. You just get the affirmation and attention of people, which is plenty payment enough, as we've seen, because plenty of people use these platforms. However, there could be a future social media platform. I mean, there are some that already exist, but there could be a future popular social media platform like Facebook, in which every like you get, you actually get paid a quarter. And every comment you get, you get paid 50 cents. And maybe every share you get, you get paid a dollar. And you actually start making money based on engagement that you get on social media. There are, there are very uh, primitive versions of social media platforms like this that exist that could be some symbol of the future. So that's an idea of what Web3 looks like. Obviously, wrapped up in Web3 is blockchain technology and the metaverse, which, gosh, who even knows what that is at this point because everybody's just co-opting it for whatever they want. Uh, but I think in the future, The promise of Web3 is that it will be decentralized, that it won't be focused, You know, all the money won't be routed to Google or Facebook or whomever else, but that everybody will have a little bit more of an ownership stake. I think that is a super optimistic and super encouraging promise. I think that sounds really good. But I'm skeptical of that in the same way that I'm skeptical of the earliest social media founders like Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey who had a little bit too too high view of humanity going into their creation of their platforms. Um, they they didn't, in my view, Zuckerberg and Dorsey and others who created these platforms we use today didn't really fully grasp the depravity of humanity. And I think we've seen that play out over the last four or five years, if not obviously longer than that. My fear with Web three and this des- decentralization where everybody owns everything and, and it's very much more kind of democratically run, if you will, or, or at least you know, much more spread out in terms of authority and power. I just don't trust people enough. I, I think that sounds really nice to not have power consolidated into these major trillion-dollar companies. I think that sounds good because the less power major corporations have, maybe the less corrupted these platforms can become and the less they can be used for evil. But man, I just have too robust a theology of like original sin and human depravity to think that giving everybody a little bit of power is necessarily going to be better than giving a couple of large companies most of the power. And so while I remain optimistic about the future of the internet, and I mean, obviously, and wrapped up in metaverses like VR and all of that. And I just, I I do think that VR is closer than maybe a lot of people realize. But I don't have this sort of dystopian idea that in five to 10 years, we're all going to be just like sitting with VR headsets on and never leaving our houses. Like, I don't think we're... I don't think we're approaching like WALL-E territory, right? If you've ever seen that movie where they're just like these humans are just like bloated giant people that never leave their little spaceship and just always have like VR headsets. I don't think we're I don't think we're going to be there anytime soon, but I do think we're going to have to start grappling a lot more with ideas of just like what does it mean to be human? What does it mean like a theology of the body is going to be so incredibly important. I mean it already is important, but it's just going to be so much more important to define the importance of the human body and the importance of embodied presence with people, and so I just think that I agree with anyone who says we shouldn't be afraid because I agree we shouldn't be afraid, but I do think that we should we should be a little bit less willing to uncritically embrace whatever comes next than we were when our current technologies came about.
1: So, Chris, I hate to ask you uh, this question. It's actually a, a two part question. And I know the obvious answer will be read your book, which I hope people do. But what are some ways that, first, uh, individuals can respond to the social internet? And then secondly, what are some ways as churches that we can help our people uh, be disciples so that they're prepared to handle the social internet in a healthy way? I think one of the most important things we can do
0: is to just slow down. Individually. I'll speak to individuals, and I'll speak to churches. individually. I think we just need to slow down in our quick adoption of these platforms. And I say this again as someone who is a chronic early adopter. I was on TikTok back in 2018, long before it was popular. I don't say that to sound like hipster and cool. I just mean like I'm an early adopter as much as anybody. So I understand the draw of checking out these platforms super early on before they're kind of mainstream. But I think we should be very careful to ask a lot of questions of these platforms before we wholesale embrace them. Neil Postman is famous for asking a question of any technology. He said, whenever I've come across a new technology, I always ask the question, to what problem is this technology a solution? And I think we should always be asking the question, to what problem is this social media platform a solution? What problem is this solving for me? In a recent article in my newsletter, I wrote just how to, how to handle social media more wisely going into this, sh- this new year, 2022. And um, I, I said that we should always, we should ask questions like, what am I hoping comes out of my relationship with Instagram? Or what do I hope that Twitter can accomplish for me in my life? Like, what's my goal here? Like, what's the point? Because I think intentionality is everything. And I think that applies to a lot of areas of life, frankly, that we get in a lot of trouble if we just let life happen to us, rather than if we try to affect change, like take intentional hold of, of what we're doing in our lives. Um, and so I think we, sh- we should resist l- just letting social media and the social various aspects of the social internet just happen to us. Maybe we should accept a few a few fewer terms of services, I guess you could say, and... and Leave notifications off a little bit more frequently. Don't just say yes to everything. Um, so that's what I would say personally. Again, I'm not saying delete everything. I'm not saying log off. I'm just saying we ask a lot of questions of people who influence our kids. You know, we we probably put our schools through the ringer on what they're educating our kids about. We, if our pastor is preaching something. Kind of sketchy we're like hey I don't really know about this you know we might we might need to look somewhere else or, or at least press our pastor why you why'd you say that I don't really know if that's biblical we, you know we're critical in a lot of areas of our life I don't think we have a problem using critical thinking in certain areas of our lives but I do think we have a problem using critical thinking as it pertains to our relationship with these platforms and I just think we should have a little bit better critical thinking skill for pastors or churches for church leaders people who have some sort of influence in the local church. I think first we, because I I I lead the small group a small group at my church and I help lead the student ministry. Um, I think first we definitely need to check ourselves. You don't have to have a perfect relationship with social media to help lead others to improve their relationship with social media. Okay, and like no, none of us have a perfect relationship with these platforms. So don't don't feel like you can't say anything because sometimes you use Instagram too much. Just admit that you are. You know, don't don't be prideful. Like admit the fact that you're not perfect. Um, But then understand that almost everyone you lead in some respect is being influenced by these platforms. They may not even have an unhealthy relationship with them. They may just have an, they just may be influenced by them in an undue way and in ways that maybe lead them down paths of foolishness and paths of righteousness and wisdom. Um, So recognize that everyone you lead in some respect is probably influenced by these platforms in some way. And then here's another thing that's kind of a new revelation. A little bit of it is in this book, but I'm actually working on a, a second book for next spring that'll delve into this topic a little bit more. What I've learned very recently is an increasing number of people really do not see what they do on the internet as real life. I spoke with a few pastors recently, and all of them actually gave me similar stories of times in which they talked with a church member about something that they saw the church member post on social media. And one of the examples was the church member was out of line and and posting something they really shouldn't have on social media, and the church leaders had to confront that person. So obviously, that's going to be a tense conversation. But another one of the conversations that a pastor had with a church member was the church member posted, hey, I'm, I'm really having a tough day, tough week. I could really use some encouragement and some prayer and a church leader reached out to that person you know about about that post about if there's a way that the church could support them. And in every case that I was given an example of the church members were offended and hurt that the church would reach out and talk oh. about what the church member posted on social media, both in the situation in which the church was trying to help and support and a, perhaps a bit more understandably in which the church was trying to correct and 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 provide some, (laughs) provide some uh, correction and and guidance, I suppose you could say, and, and discipline. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow, really? And, and the pastor, especially of the, of the one who was trying to help and support said, yeah, the, the church, the woman in our church said, what I do on social media is none of the church's business. It's not, it's, it's private and it's between me and my social media friends. I don't want the church to be involved. Wow. And, and I've actually learned it just in a few conversations with other, other pastors since. and like, have you heard anything like this in your churches? Is that this is actually quite common, um, that people sort of feel like who they are online is disconnected from who they are offline. And unfortunately, who they are online is sort of becoming a primary persona, and who they are offline is almost more downstream and derivative of who they are online. So it's like the real and the physical is taking the backseat to the virtual and the, and the digital. Um, and so this is a problem that I I think is maybe not new, but is kind of coming to light a lot more recently. It's certainly sort of new to me, at least the, the severity of it. And I think that, back to the Web3 question, I think that's something that perhaps could really be exacerbated by some of the developments we see coming with Web3. Well,
1: I really appreciate your book. And you're somebody uh, that I've appreciated learning from for a long period of time now your newsletter is really helpful and uh I, i'm so glad you've written this book to help us and i'm looking forward to your next book as well i want to ask you a couple of personal questions what are you learning lately oh man what am i learning i'm
0: learning to be a parent <laughs> um yeah like uh so i we have a an almost two-year-old she'll be two in april her name's maggie and she is wonderful um she's uh, honestly she she has it's our first child but she has really been an easy kid in so many respects. Um, she sleeps really well she's generally obedient you know I mean she obviously has her moments where the, the terrible twos approach and we're feeling them but um but she's she's just a really a, really a joy um but I I have a wide variety of interests I love studying the stuff we've talked about today I like playing video games I like reading a lot. I like reading fiction, nonfiction. Like I love reading, like early American history nonfiction, and I love reading like sci-fi. I love playing video games with my friends or with students in our student ministry. I, I have so many varied interests that the the wrestle of like the the kind of boxing match between maintaining my own personality and my own hobbies and some measure of personal time while being a faithful employee, church member husband, and now parent um, has just been a fight. Like I've I've been getting up earlier in the morning so I can have more personal time in the morning to not only do my devotions, but read a book that's interesting to me um, so that I have time to spend time with my wife in the evenings and my daughter when I get off work. And so honestly, like one of the things I'm learning most right now is frankly, outside of a lot of the subject matter we've talked about. It's just like learning how to balance my interests and engage them, while also not prioritize them over my responsibilities as a husband and a father.
1: Yeah, that's a lifelong uh, struggle. I guess struggle is the right word. A life, a lifetime struggle for me for sure. And what's encouraging you lately?
0: <sighs> what's encouraging me lately? Um, well, I, I, I kind of, I've been really encouraged by my daughter's development, not to go back to my daughter, but it's just been such a joy. Like We're just coming out of the Christmas season, at least at the time we're recording this, and it was just such a joy to have a couple of weeks off to spend with her and to watch her develop. Also, a joy has been... um, Leading our community group is a joy to me. Um, We just have a small community group. It's three couples and and a a single woman. Um, And it's... Man, it's been so... Wonderful to see. We've been this. We've been with this community group for three or four years now. With through COVID, we've walked through that together. Um, we had we had a daughter at the beginning of COVID. One couple had a child in October, and another couple just had a child at Christmas. And so it's um, it's been really fun to you know I, I want to move as few times in my life as possible. I, I, I want to live in as few houses as possible. Live in as few towns as possible, and. Like I really hope that I never have to leave this group. This is a group of people that I want to bury me, you know. Um, and it's been so encouraging to watch them change and grow from newlyweds to parents, and um, through communication difficulties and getting in touch with emotions. You know, the guys, us guys, have walked through. Like, how do we, how do we better support our wives emotionally, and and just like. The development of those conversations in our community group over the last, even just year, has been so encouraging to me. So I think that's really been on my heart lately as one of the more encouraging things that I've really just
1: seen a lot of joy in the Lord. In It really is a privilege. I, we just had a grandson, and the amount of joy that you get from these young lives is just incredible. Oh. So I'm glad that you're enjoying your daughter that much. Um, enjoy that. I mean, this is so such an old person thing to say, but it really is true. Those years go by quickly. So yeah, sure. enjoy every moment of it. Um, and I'm excited. Your book comes out which date?
0: February 1st.
1: February 1st. And where can people find out more about your book and your newsletter? Of course. So you can go to... I, I'm on Twitter uh, at ChrisMartin17.
0: That's probably my most active social media platform. Um, and there you can connect with me. Like I I love talking with people, uh, DMing and and just getting in conversations about this stuff. So you can reach out to me there. Um, There's a link to uh, the book and or my newsletter there in my bio. And then um, TermsofServiceBook.com is where you can find the best place that you would like to pre-order it wherever you would like to do that. Uh, The newsletter would be TermsofService.Social. So that's where you can find the stuff. But if you have trouble figuring out all that, just just uh, reach out to me on Twitter at Chris Martin seventeen and and we'll uh, we'll chat. Because
1: okay, so you've been somebody, I, I really mean this. I've I've read your stuff. I think I I was telling you I heard about you through Trevin Wax and just appreciated you've you've always put out helpful material and I'm excited about this book. I love the the ministry of Moody Publishers and I'm grateful for your work there and I'm glad for this book that's coming out with Broadman uh, and Holman as well and and pray that this book is a blessing to many people. So. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Daryl. It's been a joy and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful
0: for you as well. And, and I pray that the, the Lord will just continue to bless you and, and your work to steward the gifts that, that he's given you. I appreciate that. Thanks.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Gospel for Life podcast. If you're interested in growing and helping others grow, please check out our monthly newsletter. Go to gospelforlife.com slash newsletter. And please don't forget to leave a review of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. back.